0: Colossians 3.16, let's stand together for the reading God's holy, inerrant word. Hear the word of God to us this very morning. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs With gratitude in your hearts to God. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May you bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. How'd I do? I memorized that. Did I miss a word or two? That's God is good. All right. Ephesians 6. The Apostle Paul tells us, put on the full armor of God. Remember that? And the main weapon he tells us to to use, if if you may recall, is the sword of the Spirit. Remember what he says the sword of the Spirit is? What is it? It's the Word of God. Now, a sword is given to soldiers for really one purpose. It's not to be hanging on a shelf. It's not to be just sitting in its sheath but it's to be used in the heat of battle. In other words, it only has one purpose, and that is to help you fight the good fight. To strike a blow for the kingdom. To engage in holy warfare. That's the language Paul uses. And mind you, in case we get a little confused, a little bit too zealous, it's not against flesh and blood. But it's against what? Rulers, authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And in case you don't know what he's talking about, he's talking about the devil and his host of demons who hate you and have a horrible plan for your life. Now let's say the enemy's coming at you with a tempting thought. Or maybe he's coming at you with a discouraging word or a damning accusation. Or filling your head with doubts. Let me ask you a question: What good is the sword of the spirit going to do you if it's still in its sheath? What good is it going to do if it's hanging on the wall? I mean, you're doing—if you're doing hand in hand, hand to hand combat with the spiritual forces of evil, you think you could just say, "Time out! I'll be right back. I got to go get my Bible. I got to look something up." The enemy isn't going to wait. He's going to press his attack. So how can you be ready in season and out of season to face an onslaught of evil whenever it comes at you? I hope you see where I'm going with this. You need to have a good arsenal of Scripture passages memorized so that they're at your disposal just when you need them. Maybe this familiar illustration from our Lord's own ministry will bring this powerfully home to you this morning like it did for me as I prepared for this message. You remember the time Jesus had fasted for 40 days, 40 nights? Remember that time? I think it's in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 gives us the record of this. You remember the Spirit led him out to the desert where he was tempted by, just as we were talking about, the devil. The specific reason he was brought there was to face the devil. When he got there, you remember the devil tempted him with three things. I'm not going to go in great detail, but I want to mention just a few things from that. If you remember, the first thing the devil tempted him with, because think about it, Jesus hadn't eaten in 40 days. And he says, if you're the son of God, like you claim you are, then make these stones bread. Right? How did Jesus respond? Do you remember? Jesus responded by quoting Deuteronomy, by the way, chapter 8, verse 3. Man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Huh. Pretty good, huh? So then the devil says, Oh, you're going to quote some scripture. Two could play at this. The devil thought, I'm going to throw that right back at you. So the devil said this He took Jesus to the highest point of the temple. And this time he said, look, he said, if you're the son of God, jump off the cliff here. For it is written, he quotes Psalm 91, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus quickly squelched this scripture twisting fiend by quoting the scripture properly in its context. And what did he say? He said, do not put the Lord, your God, to the test. Guess where that comes from? Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. Looks like he's going somewhere with this. devil wasn't done, as you know. devil had one more. He showed him the kingdoms of this world and all their splendor, and then he said this to Jesus All this I will give you. You just got to do one thing bow down to me. To which Jesus replied, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Guess where that comes from? Deuteronomy 6, verse 13. Getting to see a little pattern? But I want you to see something. This is so important. This, this like really jazzed me up when I, when I thought deeply about this. First of all, Jesus didn't say, hey, hang on a minute. Can you let me go get my scroll? Go get my Bible. Nor did he say this. This is pretty instructive. He didn't just say, depart from me, Satan. So I want you to know something. He could have done that. You realize that, right? He who stilled the waves and the wind with one command... He who cast out demons with word, he who rose the dead, raised the dead with a simple word, could have simply said, depart from me. But is that what he did? No. Instead, he quoted scripture each and every time. Now, we can get real deep and we could talk about all the reasons that Jesus, Jesus did that, but I'm going to pick only one. And it's certainly one of the reasons. So we could debate there are other reasons, sure. But this is one reason. Because Jesus, as the second Adam, as the new representative for me and for you, wanted to demonstrate how to wield the sword of the Spirit in spiritual warfare. In other words, he later commanded us to take up the sword of the Spirit through his apostle Paul. But in his life, and his ministry, he first demonstrated it. This is what it looks like. Now look, 1 John says this, anybody who claims to be in him, in God, has to walk like Jesus walked. In its context, which I always teach you to keep it in its context, it means to walk a holy life. Okay? But let me tell you something, how are you going to walk a holy life if you're not walking in the word? You want to walk like Jesus walked? Jesus walked in the word. Listen, Jesus said, man doesn't live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He wasn't just saying that. Our Lord lived off the word. And he wants us to do the same as well. He ate, he drank, and he lived out the word of truth. And listen, here's what's important. You need to see this. He committed at minimum, large portions of Scripture to memory. And I want you to understand something. He didn't cheat. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus is both God and man, right? So in his divinity, in his divine nature, he knows the word front and back, word perfect. He wrote it through his Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. But he didn't cheat. You know why he quoted Deuteronomy 6 and 8? Because as a little boy and as a faithful Jew, Joseph, his stepdad, taught him the scriptures. And he memorized those scriptures. Just like you and I have to do the hard work of memorizing, he did that. He repeated it over and over. Until it was a part of him. Until it just came out. They say about um, Spurgeon that his blood was Bibli. In other words, he knew the Bible so well. And I'm sure that's great, but... It's really true Jesus. <laughs> you didn't know this was just the uh, intro, did you? As I thought about bringing you a message for the new year, I was going to do it last week, but since Pete, this is Pete's week and he was going to be away, we had to swap it. So I'm a little week past. but I wanted to give you a message for the new year. I wanted to give you a message that could literally be a game changer. I don't use that those words lightly. Everybody today is game changer. changer. I only use it once in a while. And this, if you take these words that that you're going to hear this morning from the word of God to heart, your life can be absolutely transformed this year. Absolutely changed. That's amazing to me when I thought about that. When I thought about what can I tell my people that would literally have the potential to make life not just the same old, same old. This is it. I thought, how about a message that inspires you to commit large portions of Scripture to memory so you'll be ready to wield the sword of the Spirit when you need it most. It's literally the one thing that if you begin to do or pick back up, for some of us, it's picking it back up, right? Because I used to do it a lot when I was a young Christian. And then I got to the point of making fun of Pastor Pete when he would hand out these memory cards during our Bible study, which... I'm bad. I shouldn't have made fun of him. So publicly, he's not here. See that? He didn't get to hear it. He was doing a good thing. And I was teasing him. So this morning, I'm only going to show you three things. I want to show you like ten. But I am restraining myself. And the three things you're going to see is the command to memorize Scripture. This is one area I disagree with one of our great favorite preachers we all like. He says there is no command. I disagree. We're going to see the command to memorize Scripture. We're going to see the benefits, some of the benefits, because there are a lot more than I can give you today. And we're going to see the limitations of committing Scripture to memory. So let's take a look at the first one. And what you're going to see is it is God's will for you. I want you to be convinced that it's God's will for you to memorize. So let me just cut to the chase. Deuteronomy 11 Eighteen. Uh, tell me this isn't a command to memorize scripture. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Where is Moses telling you to fix God's word? Where? In your minds and in your hearts. Well, that was the Old Testament. That was the law. I. Right. All right, we want to play that game now? Let's go New Testament. We read it earlier. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, what? Richly. Let it fill you up. So what I think is interesting is right here, it tells us very clearly, both law and gospel are to be in our hearts and to be in our minds and to be upon our souls, as it were. It goes through the mind, into the heart, where it could be trusted in, where it could be meditated upon, where it could be savored and applied and worked out in our daily lives. Isn't that what we want? I want it worked out. From here, going out. But I thought I'd put a little icing on the cake this morning for you. And I've been a little sappy this week, sorry about that, but Um, If you remember, I asked some of you on our little Facebook page, please give me two or three of uh, some Christian leaders or writers that you really respect. And I said, basically I put it this way so you get where I'm coming from, that if they were sitting right next to you and you asked them for advice, that you'd actually listen to them. You know, we all have those couple of people. Like when when I sat with Dick Lucas, man, I was just like waiting for the wisdom to drip out. And then he started asking me questions. But that's another story. But he's the kind of guy, when he says something, I take real seriously. Because I deeply respect his walk with Jesus. And I wanted to hear a few of who your folks would be. And so we're going to start with one of them that made the list. Corey Ten Boom. You know who you are. But she's one of my heroes, too. So I'm, I'm glad people picked pretty much people that were all my heroes, too. So, which is a good thing. Corey Ten Boom once said this. Very simple. Gather the riches of God's promises. Nobody can take away from you those texts from, texts from the Bible which you have learned by heart. Isn't that cool? But what's really potent for me about that one is that Corey and her family were devout Dutch Calvinists, by the way. I don't know, I don't, for some reason, I didn't remember that until I re-looked it up. Hey, she believed like we did. Dutch Calvinists who risked their lives to protect Jews from the Nazis. You remember that, right? remember her family was ratted out. Someone ratted them out. They were hiding them. And they were sent to the concentration camps. And I know at least her dad and her sister died. I don't remember what happened to the other. But she inexplicably, to this day, doesn't know how, but somehow, for some reason, they let her go. We know it was God, obviously. But here's the thing. She suffered in that concentration camp. You want to talk about having a tough time trusting in God, And yet, she says, nobody can take away from you those texts that you remembered in your heart. In other words, those, the, the, there was the word of God hidden in her heart that got her through those concentration camps. She's an active. She was an activist. She wasn't someone who just sat in an ivory tower and meditated on the word all day. And yet, she says how vital it is. I'm going to give you one other one before I go to my next point. See, I told you to be quick have to mention this one because it was on almost everybody's lists. John Piper. I always hear him quoted from folks here, and this is what he said. Let us labor to memorize the word of God for worship and for warfare. If we do not carry it in our heads, we cannot savor it in our hearts or wield it in the spirit. If you go out without the kindling of Christian hedonism, the fire of Christian happiness will be quenched before mid-morning. Let me explain what he means. If you're not delighting in God through his word, then your happiness in your Christian life will soon dwindle. Does it make sense? I think it does. So it's God's will for you. Is it enough on that? You believe it? I'm not seeing heads. You want me to go longer on this point? All right. Second thing, it's God's will for you. Second thing is, it's good for you. It's good for you. Let me just I'm only point out for time's sake, a few of the benefits, a few of the big ones, but if you have time, check out the whole Psalm 119. You'll see all kinds of benefits, but I'm going to bring a couple of them. Now the first one, I love tricking you. I love, I love giving you bonus stuff. The first one benefit I already gave you an intro. spiritual warfare. It helps you fight the good fight. And I already gave you a whole intro on that. See that? Saved us time. All I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna take out another person who wrote, who made the list, brother Randy Neighbors. And yes, he's on my list, but he was on somebody else's list. And um, I couldn't find a sermon where he preached on it, so I, I wrote to him. I said, "Hey, you got something profound you could tell me about memorizing the scripture?" I said, "Now listen, don't just say it's good, do it." So give me something. Yeah, isn't that wouldn't that be something he would do? No. <laughs> so this is what he wrote back to me: "It's good, do it." He goes, "But I'm gonna send you." Um, an article I wrote on it, I hope it blesses you. So I will forward that whole article on to you, it's only a couple pages, but i want to quote just a little piece of it. And he's talking about how to use it in spiritual warfare, and this is what he writes, I think it's really good. Um, Even deeper than do it, it's good for you. He said this, do you believe that you're in a spiritual war? It's a total war, and it has many fronts. It's a warfare of philosophical systems, it's an internal warfare of spiritual choices, fears, oppressions, and temptations. It's a warfare of behaviors concerning morality and justice. And it's a warfare of spiritual powers. Why would you go to war unarmed? And then I like the way he puts this. Even intentionally disarmed. Now, why would you walk into war like, and not expect to be beaten at every turn? It doesn't matter if others don't believe it. The gun is loaded. And if you pull the trigger, God is going to make things happen. (laughs) It's so true. Only as Randy could say, right? All right, so I'm going to just machine gun, since it's loaded, I'm just going to machine gun some benefits. And then I'm only going to spend time on one in detail. How's that? First of all, it helps deter sin in your, or second of all, we already said the one. Second of all, it helps deter sin in your life. Where do I get that from? We just read it. Psalm 119.11. I have hidden your word in my heart. What? That I might not sin against you. When you got God's word inside, in your heart and in your mind, it protects you from sin. I could illustrate that and spend time on that, but I will restrain myself. Second of all, it's like having a live-in counselor. Wouldn't it be cool... To have a counselor who's just with you all the time. Hey, what should I do next? Hey, help me with this. Hey, what do I do about this? Well, guess what we do if we memorize scripture. Psalm 119.24. Your statutes, means your principles, your teachings, your uh, laws, are my delight. They are my counselors. So you got Bible in you, you got a counselor. Remember that old, that old uh, uh, commercial? Some of you guys are probably way too young. You got a phone, you got a lawyer. Well, if you got the word, you got a counseling. It sheds light on your daily walk through life. Hey, you ever walk around and say, man, I don't know where I'm going. I feel lost. Anybody? Well, guess what the Bible says? Your word is a lamp to my feet and it's a light for my path. It's like having a spiritual beacon shining on your way, man. Bible says the word preserves your life. Man, I don't know about you, but I need a life preserver. Psalm one, nineteen, ninety-three. I will never forget your precepts. By the way, which means he has them what memorized. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Did you ever feel like? I know I have. Look, I'm just a simple guy. I come from Point Pleasant, a small little town. You know what I mean. I'm a, a bricklayer was my dad. I'm nobody special. Do you ever feel like that? And, and, and do you ever feel like, man, I'm dealing with things that are way too big for me? Well, here's the cool thing. It makes simple people like you and me wise. It gives us understanding. Listen to this, Psalm 119, 130. The unfolding of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. That means simple people like me and you, we can have understanding. God will grant it to us through his word. this is the last one it's the primary means of grace whereby god conveys both his presence and his benefits to us explain what that means that means out of all the ways that that we partake of god's grace prayer the lord's supper the primary one is the word of god by the word god made the heavens and the earth by the word he gave us new birth you remember Jesus said, He prayed, He said, Father, speaking about His disciples in prayer, He says, Sanctify them, that is, set them apart, make them holy, by what? By the truth. And then what was the next comment? Your word is truth. Another one who made the list, see, I'm trying to pull some authorities in here. J.I. Packer, he says this in knowing God God speaks to us not only to move us to do what He wants, but to enable us to know him so that we may love him. Therefore, God sends his word to us in the character of both information and invitation. It comes to woo us as well as to instruct us. It not merely puts us in the picture of what God has done and is doing, but also calls us into personal communion with the loving Lord himself. Listen, that's so powerful. In other words, the word isn't there just as information, or just as a means of telling us what God wants us to do, it's much deeper and sweeter to the taste than that. The word actually draws us into a deeper knowledge and intimate relationship with God. It's his very word. Listen, when I go home, or my wife comes home, depends on which one, my wife usually can't wait either tell me what happened or to ask me about my day and vice versa now once in a while we're tired we're grumpy and I, I don't really I, I kind of don't appreciate when I'm ready to tell her and she's just like yeah whatever I kind of feel bad amen and vice versa when she's like so what happened with you and Dave in the meeting I'm, I'm like "Ah, eh, it was normal She's like, come on didn't anything happen the point is she wants me just to open my heart to her right She wants to hear from her husband and vice versa. I want to hear how her day went. Listen, how interested could you be in God if you leave his book on the shelf? Just ask him. God speaks through what he has spoken. You believe that? He speaks through the Bible? You need to have it in your heart so you can hear from your father every day no matter where you are you don't even need to have the Bible with you because you have it in your heart God speaks through his word he reveals himself to us he fuels our faith our hope listen Lord I got doubts the word gives you faith faith comes from hearing where? hearing the word of Christ you need faith you need the word you want hope? where are you going to get it? CNN? I don't think so. One last thing on this before we get to our very last point. I want to tell you about a couple of the excuses that we often give. And then we'll go to our last point. It's shorter than the other ones, don't worry. Some of the excuses, I'm too busy. Oh, too busy, are you? Let's talk King David, who wrote tons of Psalms and who wrote Psalm 119 about being in the Word constantly and meditating the Word. You want to talk about a busy guy? He was running a kingdom. And, and listen, we won't, we'll have to do this for a whole other sermon, but he had more than one wife, and he had lots of kids. He was busy. He wrote, he, and he was the songwriter for the church back then. Right? Yet he took the time out, and he was the king. If there was anybody that could say, I'm too busy, it was King David. And David made the time to memorize the words of the scroll, the words of the law. And they made, he made them his delight. Hey, D- David was a flawed man. But he was a man after God's own heart. So don't say we don't have time. Luther talked about prayer, but it's also true about memorizing the word. He says, I'm so busy today, i got to start with three hours of prayer. So I don't know about you, but when I'm real busy, that's when I need the word the most. It's when I get irritable, it's when I get tempted, it's when I start acting stupid. So I don't want to hear that excuse. The other excuse is, I can't do it. Well, I tricked you this morning. Most of you, you've already done it. Amen? Amen. We did Psalm 23, man, and you guys were rattling it off. Because you didn't even realize you already had it in your mind and heart most of you. And And don't feel bad if you didn't do it yet. That's what this whole morning is about. It's saying, let's start new. Let's get this thing going and let's start slow. Take a couple verses at a time and then memorize whole sections. So I don't want to hear you can't do it. You could do it. Just take your time and do it at your own pace. And maybe another time I'll give you tips on how to do it. But I do want to jump to the last point. And it's simply this. It's got limitations. It's God's will. It's good for you, but it's got limitations. This is what I mean. Sometimes it's pointed out that the Pharisees had large portions of scriptures memorized. And it wasn't spiritually helpful to them, was it? If anything, it contributed to their spiritual pride and to their arrogance. And so some people say, aren't we in danger of falling into uh, pride and the same uh, arrogance that they did by uh, memorizing scripture? Well, let's just ask this question. It's an important question. Why didn't the scripture they memorized help them? Why was it not useful to them spiritually? Well, John, well, Jesus tells us in John 5 what their deal was and why they had this problem. This is what Jesus said to the Pharisees. The Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Two takeaways from that. Number one, Jesus says God's word doesn't dwell in them. What does that mean? They have it memorized, right? Well, he doesn't mean just memorization, does he? What he's saying is the Word of God does not dwell in their hearts. It does not take root in their hearts. It is not a part of them. They're merely walking concordances. And the big reason for that, number two, and the big main point of this, the big takeaway, they refused to come to Christ. They didn't believe in the one of whom the whole Scripture speaks. (laughs) Talk about missing the whole enchilada. The living word is standing in front of them and they said, you have no place in me. And Jesus said, you're right about that. So memorizing scripture wasn't what led to their hypocrisy. Unbelief did. Their failure to come to faith and believe in Jesus. So here's the cool thing, though. I think it's important to us to see this. Scripture memorization is good for even children and unbelievers. Ooh, what do I mean by that? I'll tell you what I mean by that. Guess what? When God does open someone's heart to the truth, and when he does create faith where there was no faith, guess what happens when you're converted to Christ and you have Scripture memorized from before that? All that stuff, stuff starts lighting up like a Christmas tree. That's what happens. So I'll give you one testimony, and he made my list. I don't know if anybody else mentioned it. He may have, but he makes my list. His name is Martin Luther. Martin Luther, after years of being a monk and teaching the scriptures, and he had much, so much scripture memorized, he didn't know God yet through Jesus. He didn't know that it was by faith that you're saved. He thought it was through works. And then one day he was preaching himself through Romans, which said, the just shall live by faith. And he says it was like the gates of heaven opened up. God revealed it to him. It's not by works. It's by trusting in Jesus. And he said all the verses he had memorized about justification by faith just started to lighten up. So don't you disparage teaching the little ones the word of God. And sometimes, oh, they're only learning it by rote. They don't understand what they're saying. No, but they will. Let them get that good stuff in them. And when the lights get turned on, bingo, they have this arsenal. It's like opening up the doors. And here you have this whole room filled with all kinds of cool weapons to use against the devil. I remember when I, and then I'll close. I'm going to tell you the story, and then I'm going to close. I remember when I was a new believer. I literally wasn't saved yet for two months. I might have been saved about two months. And I had met this, this young man who, as far as I know, didn't know Jesus. And he was asking questions about the faith. So we, I think we were at Christian skate night. That's where I met him. And we ended up taking a drive. And I remember parking. And literally, till the sun came up, we were talking. I was talking to him about Jesus. So you have to understand, being two months saved, I didn't have tons memorized from, as a new believer. So I went through my memorization verses, John 3, 16, and pretty quick. Now we have hours to go, and he wanted to know more. So guess what I did? Guess what dawned on me, the Spirit brought to my mind? You're not going to believe this. The Lord's Prayer. I had the Lord's Prayer memorized from when I was a little kid going to church. Right? So I just started repeating the Lord's Prayer. And here was the coolest thing. I went line by line on the Lord's Prayer and started expounding it to him. And as I was expounding it to him, I was expounding it to myself. I'm sorry, that's kind of funny. Because I'm explaining it to him and I'm going, wow, wow. But I wouldn't have been able to do that if it wasn't already here. And so God used something that I didn't even realize I had done I'm thankful for, at least in my tradition I grew up, that at least did that. Because then when I needed it, I took that sword out, boy, and I worked it. And it was a blessing. So that's actually going backwards. That's another benefit of knowing the word and having it in your heart for evangelism. Mm-hmm. Amen? Amen. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm going to say this. And then we're going to leave it there for, for today. And I'm going to pick this back up next week. We're going to be on a different topic, but we're going to kind of end with this as we go on the new topic, and you'll see why. But let me say this is William Wilberforce, who was another activist. Just so you don't think it's these guys who go away in monasteries and meditate. William Wilberforce was one of the the men who was in Parliament in England, who really was one of the primary guys who helped to um, end slavery in England. And this is what he says. There are four things that we ought to do with the word of God. Admit it as the word of God. In other words, admit it's God's word. Commit it to our hearts and minds. Memorize it. Trust in it. Submit to it. In other words, do what it says. And transmit it to the world. Amen? Let's pray. Father, your words are words of life when they are mixed with faith in Christ our Savior and Lord Father you've given each of us minds some of us have better memories than others but yet all of us can memorize some and so I pray for each and every person here including myself Lord that we would take advantage of the time you give us you give us 24 hours a day and we pray that you would help us to take just a small portion of it Lord To memorize and hide your word in our hearts. So that we will have it when we need it. And that's always. We pray it Lord for your glory. For the glory of Jesus. The good of your church. And also Lord that many more who don't know you. Would come to know you. We pray it in Jesus name. Amen.